at the end of my PhD actually saw that my own technology had the potential. So I thought why instead joining some company or, or team out there, why don't I actually start something new and, and continue developing what I've been working on already and see what comes out. In this episode, I'm talking with Michaela Poudou, a multi-award-winning social entrepreneur and business entrepreneur with many years of experience driving innovation and sustainability and co-founder of the company Helixa Technology. This is the We Are ETH podcast and I am Susan Kish, your host. Michaela, are you joining me from Zurich or where are you today? Yeah, thank you, Susan. Yes, I'm joining from Zurich. And it sounds like you speak at a lot of events. I saw recordings at TEDx, at the World Economic Forum, all kinds of areas. You enjoy public speaking? I do, actually. I used to not be very comfortable at the very beginning, but then I did it so often that I started to not only feel comfortable, but also to enjoy that. Actually, yeah. Fantastic. At TEDx, you told this great story of arriving in Zurich with two overstuffed suitcases <laughs> as part of the origin story. Can you share that story? Because it was just great. Yeah, that, that's the beginnings of how I got to also bring this te technology into the fashion textile world. I used to be a bit of a compulsive shopping behavior. And I actually just say you were interested in fashion. I was interested in fashion and uh, yeah, just used <laughs> to have a lot of clothes. And of course, when you move to a new country, you bring them all with you. And uh, yeah, there was this colleague from the, the group I was going to do my research that he picked me up at the station and he was shocked at the sight of those two huge suitcases that he was supposed to carry. And uh, yeah, I'm that. After that, I started to dig deeper into some of the issues with fashion, with clothes labeling, and got the idea to bring that technology into that world. How did you come up with the core concept behind Helixa, this idea that DNA can capture data and through that label it and give you provenance? What is that story? The idea to use DNA as a label in a way is not new. Rather, what is new is the way how we have made it work in, in, in a way that is it's more compatible, let's say, with the supply chains and all the conditions. It could be temperature or light exposure, whatever product can be exposed to. So this is rather the innovation. So how we yeah, turn it into something that can be applied in a real life, real world scenario. And it was not just my work, but I've been developing this technology in a team, including also who became later my co-founder. So clothes currently are labeled, but they usually just say something like made in Vietnam or made in China. And like, that's it. Is it possible to get more information about my turtleneck or your sweater? What kind of information is appropriate. Nowadays, it is definitely possible to gain more information and uh, our technology uh, does exactly that, enable to really access reliable information about uh, product origin, but also 
tangible proof of claims made, which could be organic or recycled and so on. So, excuse me, I don't know too much about the fashion industry or about how the stuff is made. Is that about the fabric? Is that about where it's shipped from? Is that about who made it? Or what is the information that might be of interest? I think this can all be of interest. So the whole journey of the garment is of interest, especially if you want to ensure that some sustainability criteria are respected throughout the whole supply chain. But our focus as Helix has been mostly tracing materials from the raw stage until the end product. So, for instance, cotton wool from the source until essentially the retail level to, again, prove origin or prove some sustainability or production claims. How does this work for DNA? I always think of it as those, the Helix thing, but is there a website where I can go and I can translate my URL to a DNA? In a way you can, but the way we do it, it's a bit different. So we assign a unique DNA to a product or to a specific supplier or to a place of origin, depending what's the scope of the traceability, of course, what's the the goal to be achieved. And that unique DNA will, throughout the whole journey, be associated with that. So whenever you do a test on the garment or even intermediate products, so yarn, fabric, you can always identify that unique DNA and therefore confirm that specific origin or that specific production claim. The test, it's a bit like... So is DNA a thing? DNA is it's, it's really a thing. It's really like your kind of... It's like biological DNA that you find in nature just is produced in a lab and doesn't have a biological function. It's, it's really a, a unique code that doesn't have any biological meaning, let's say, but serve to identify a product and it's really embedded in the product. In the case of cotton... You spray it on? Exactly. Well, how in, do you... in the case of cotton, for instance, we spray it on and that stays throughout the whole, throughout the whole life cycle of the, of the product. So like it's an aerosol spray and somehow the DNA is embedded into the water? It's a liquid, correct. It's a liquid and and that liquid can be sprayed most often. That's how this is applied. What do you think about when you buy your clothes? Or let me phrase this slightly differently. What should I be thinking about when I buy my clothes? It, It very much depends what you care about and what you what are your concerns and what's the contribution you want to make to society or the environment so there are several aspects again some purchases can in some purchases can prevail the environmental factor or other in the the social human labor factor so that of course depends generally if you want to have the least impact you buy second hand that's the the most effective way to reduce your impact in any possible way. Otherwise, uh, again, depending on what you what it is more uh, dear to you, you should look for information. And I would say as general rule, the, the more specific is the information, the more reliable it is. So I would really stay away from very generic claims like sustainable 
t-shirt or some very generic yeah, labels and look for a company that really give accurate and specific information about their supply chain. And, and typically this company are very well known for that. So you, I'm not here to advise which brand, but definitely there are a few companies that are very known for their commitment to environment or society and that really make also good effort in, in bringing visibility into their operations. So... If Can I draw a parallel to how I look at my food? I mean, I go to farmer's markets. I try to buy things local as much as I can. I read labels as carefully as I can to avoid certain chemicals, although that's really challenging. But I got to say, when I go buy a piece of clothing, they really do not say very much. Yeah, it's not easy. And sometimes maybe the information you can find on the website... So research maybe up from the companies and, and buy there. Or, yeah, again, you have the chance to buy local. But again, you should look also what that local means. It depends where you live and what are the practices in place in the place where you buy them. So this is all very valid. And should I be skeptical when I read something that says sustainable or organic? Or should I feel pretty confident in how those terms are used or natural? Right. No, you should be very careful. I mean, the most generic, the least uh, confidence you should have. So again, the more specific it is, uh, the better. First of all, how did you decide I want to go from the lab and writing papers to I'm going to make the real thing, right? I'm going to be an entrepreneur because it's not the normal path for a lot of the PhD candidates at the ETH. I always wanted to do a PhD having then uh career in mind that could be in in a company so I always had in mm-hmm. mind then to use my knowledge for I don't know to assist in product development or anyway bring technology or research into uh, real life use and with that in mind then at the end of my PhD actually so that my own technology had the potential so I thought, why instead joining some company or, or team out there, why don't I actually start something new and, and continue developing what I've been working on already and see what comes out. Because if I understood the history, it sounds like you actually started it and used many of the ETH programs and that, awards and incubators true. along the road. Yes, I was uh, very lucky to receive a very prestigious grant from the ATH Foundation at the end of my PhD, which really allowed me to translate the initial technological platform into marketable products and services. And that gave us not just the financial support, but also office space, laboratory. So really the needed infrastructure, obviously extremely modern infrastructure, extremely functional to to what we needed. And uh, also they needed uh, ecosystem advisors, coach that could help me developing the new business skills, advice on how to build a successful business plan, business case 
and also a network of peers, so other startups, other startup founders with whom I could exchange any challenges, issues, and see how they, if they face them, how they solved it, and so on. So a really, a really great ecosystem to incubate technology and bring them to the next stage of development and commercialization. What was your biggest challenge when you started Helixa? I was diving a bit into the unknown, so it was exciting to learn many new things at once, but also a bit scary in the sense that I, at times I was a bit fearing that I could make mistakes and therefore, yeah, there was a lot of work to really acquire the necessary skills. Sales, marketing, I don't know, some legal basics, some accounting, uh, and all of that. Any particular words of wisdom? Let's say you were, let's say I wasn't me, but I was a PhD student in material science at the ETH and I had a fabulous idea and was just starting to think about leaving and taking the technology and starting a company. What would be three words of advice or three pieces of advice you'd give them? I think the most important thing is really to choose well your co-founder and I would advise to have one. I think it would have been very tough to be alone throughout the whole journey. It's good to be two or more to go through already challenging times because there will surely be some challenging times <laughs> and surround yourself of smart people that can help you or, or trusted mentors that yeah, can suggest how to move forward when you are not sure and uh, yeah, professionals that can really bring the expertise that you lack at the beginning. So that, that's my advice. Have a co-founder or two and have a great ecosystem of mentors and coaches. Yeah. yeah. You studied, if I understand, material science in Rome. How did you select the ETH as a place to pursue your doctorate? For me, it was... Why uh, move to Zurich? Rome is such a great city <laughs> to be in. <laughs> yeah, to be fair and honest, I didn't choose Zurich, but I chose ETH. I chose ETH because it's a world-renowned institute or university. I wanted to do my master's thesis in a prestigious uh, university, and, and I first selected ETH Zurich. I, I remember I applied to get some financial support at the time for the Erasmus scholarship. And uh, at the time, Erasmus uh, was very popular. And I remember the destinations that were very popular were, I don't know, Spain, Portugal. And, and I was the only one actually <laughs> applied for Zurich. Oh, is that right? <laughs> That's correct. So I actually got it. And I had that support to do my master thesis. And I decided to stay because I actually really loved it. Can you talk to us about advanced technologies for Swiss Textiles, your board membership there? Yes, Swiss Textiles is a role that I took up in two years ago, essentially, in 2021. And there, essentially, I am part of the board. So I help setting the strategy, define budgets, and especially my focus is on technology. And so giving inputs for what concerned the technological developments of the sector. That's why I also chaired the technology commission of the association. What is becoming more relevant is rather the aspect of innovation. So not standard textile, not standard apparel, but rather more technical textile or advanced material using textile or advanced technology. So high-tech fabrics and high-tech 
textiles? Could be technical textile. Can also be the workwear. Oh yes, any any other application beyond the more traditional part. The more traditional sectors yes. of high fashion yeah. or fast fashion or whatever it's called. And if you look also at the at the sector in Switzerland, the new company that are emerging in the field are maybe startup. Of course, there are very there are companies that have a, a long tradition in Switzerland and that still do manufacturing and they still have very good good reputation and and they're still leader in the market but the new let's say company or initiatives they're forming are more around really innovative uh, products or startups or uh, maybe you're familiar with the on running shoes and sure another eth spin out so this right? is all, all yeah very product that are very innovative for some aspects and therefore yeah allow switzerland to remain competitive and leader in, in, in this sense. Understood. So one of the other awards that I heard you understood is the European Commission Women Rising Innovator Award. Yes. Um, which sort of brings the topic of your role as a woman founder, a woman researcher, a woman leader in this area. How do you view that or do you view that as a distinction that you want to really focus on? I am very grateful that I received that prize. I was awarded that prize. It gave a lot of uh, visibility to my work and uh, initiative like that should be more common, uh, let's say, to really bring to light. Otherwise, in some cases, hidden yeah, women figures. But I, I wouldn't say that I focus on that. I've just been focusing on my work and I didn't really care that I was the uh, only or one of the few women at the table. I was just focusing on my work, so I didn't particularly use it at my advantage, uh, or nor I have seen in it as big disadvantage, likely, in, in my career. So I also heard that we should congratulate you, and you recently had a child. Can you tell us, a boy, a girl, how many months... Does it sleep through the night? The most important questions. <laughs> it, it's a boy. and uh, Congratulations. Thank you. And it doesn't sleep too much, but also not too little. <laughs> I think overall we are very lucky and it's good as it is. We're very excited. What's his name? Leonardo. Leonardo. Oh, fantastic. I did my thesis back in college on Da Vinci, so I'm <laughs> a big fan of that name. Yeah, I wanted to bring uh, an important Italian name into the equation as uh, he has a Swiss surname. So I thought having both roots in, in a way in the, in the name would be, would be fun. Has that changed your view on life at all? Yeah, for sure. I think what everyone said to me before that priorities would change, I already see that it comes first, family comes first. Michaela, thank you so much. I'm going to ask you some closing questions, if that's okay, that we often ask our guests. But thank you so much in advance for your time and your honesty. Thank really you. We appreciate it. So right now, in the 15 minutes that you might have to yourself in a normal day, all right, maybe five minutes, <laughs> what books or podcasts are you reading or listening to? I unfortunately, since uh, the birth of my child, I didn't manage to read <laughs> a book. <laughs> I don't 
totally, let me just say, I totally get that. So I, I bought a book just before giving birth, thinking that maternity leave would be a great time to read. Oh, I was very naive. Exactly. I was very naive and that didn't happen. I'm not reading much at the moment, but I like novels. So I read a lot of novels and if there is a strong woman f figure in the story, it's, it's better. I find it inspiring and fascinating. What would be a book or an author that you would recommend? I'm always looking for new stuff to read. So I recently read Search by Madeline Miller. And ah, I... C-I-R-C-E. Yeah. Right? The goddess of, or the witch, some say, in the Odysseus story. That was a great book. Otherwise, I read also the this the novels inspired by the Florio family. I mention it now because the series just came out on Disney Plus, so maybe most people are familiar with that. But I found actually the book extremely good as well. So, what is the name of the actual book or the author? The uh, Lions of Sicily, I believe. It's the Florio family. Is this family from Calabria region in 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 Italy that? build a business empire in Sicily. So although you mentioned that you didn't come to the ETH for Zurich, you came for the university, you've obviously chosen to stay here for a while. So what is your favorite place in Zurich? I love to be close to the water. So I don't was born in Rome, close to the seaside. So that's what I miss. So anything that resembled that is cool. <laughs> so, so lake, which one of the shrimp baths do you like? Lake, river, exactly. Bodies are definitely the place where you find me in summer. But I actually love also the botanical garden in general. I, oh. I In every city I visit, I try to go to, to have a look at the botanical garden there. And uh, yeah, the one in beautiful, the one in Zurich is really beautiful. So when you were growing up in Rome and you were a little girl... What did you want to be when you grew up? I didn't have very clear ideas, I have to say. I this actually never. I never knew what was next. It just came, unfolded very naturally at the right time. But at some point, I was very motivated to become a doctor, medical doctor. And I'm glad I did not do that because I get very easy, I don't know, scared or anyway. I think I would have brought home a lot of patient stories and <laughs> I wouldn't have coped with that very easily. So I'm, I'm glad I didn't do that. Very cool. Michaela, thank you. That was a great conversation. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm Susan Kish, host of the We Are ETH series, telling the story of the alumni and friends of the ETH Zurich, the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology here in Zurich. ETH regularly ranks amongst the top universities in the world with cutting-edge research, science, and people. The people who were there, the people who are there, and for the people who will be there. Please take a moment and subscribe to this podcast and join us on whatever platform you listen. Give us a good rating on Spotify or Apple if you enjoyed today's conversation. And I'd like to close by thanking our producers at ETH Circle and LA Media. And most of all, to thank you, our listeners, for joining us.